the giant thinkers giant thinkers podcast hey guys welcome to the show I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. G'day, Giants. Ram here. This is episode number 67. Today's guest is a contemporary Cuban American artist and portrait painter, best known for his syncretism a term he coined in 2011 to describe paintings where he presents two or more art tendencies in aesthetic balance. His work harmonizes both classical and modern interpretations juxtaposed within each painting. When he moved to America with his family aged 12, he got a real taste for the American dream, saying that the worst thing that could happen in America was always a luxury in comparison to the Cuban lifestyle where he grew up. He studied at the Miami-Dade College, then attended the New World School of the Arts for a period of time, and even relocated to Florence for further painting education. The artist has received numerous accolades around the world, including the Grand Prize and People's Choice Award at the Academy of Realist Art Boston, first prize at the Grand Central Academy Portrait Competition, the Hall of Fame Award at Miami-Dade College, and first place at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Some of the topics we spoke about include advice for people wanting to make a living as an artist, how his physical activity feeds in with his life as a painter, the role of an artist in the age of technology, and the business side of being a painter. So if you're thinking about becoming a full-time artist or looking for ways to channel your creativity, then this is absolutely for you as we uncover what makes an artist thrive. A quick one before we begin, do you use Instagram? I suspect you might. And if so, I invite you to add me on Instagram. I'm doubling down on there, putting extra effort into uh, that medium and uh, trying to give as much value as possible. In particular, answering every single comment and DM. I leave no message behind. So if you have a question or are feeling stuck and you think I can help, happy to give my two cents. I'm also committed to delivering some useful Instagram stories every day. So connect with me via my handle, The Giant Thinker, as it is the fastest way to reach me. All right, let's dive straight in. I present to you the super curious, open-minded and gracious... Caesar Santos. Caesar Santos, welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast, mate. I'm so pumped to have you on the show. How are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for the invitation, Ram. I, I mean, I was looking at your stuff um, this last few days. Man, what a bridge to connect all these uh, thinkers across the world for people to have access to. Uh, amazing. So thank you so much. I hope we have a fun conversation. Oh, mate, that means a lot. That means a lot. Thank you so much. Um, well, uh, some of the Giant Thinkers listeners uh, actually pointed me to you and then we got the conversation going pretty quickly. Um, and uh, here we are. You're in, you're in Miami. Is that correct? Miami, Florida. Yeah, yeah Miami, Florida. Beautiful. And I'm here in uh, Sydney, Australia. Let's kick this off, Caesar. I have an icebreaker question for you. <laughs> if there was a movie 
to be made based on your life, which actor would you like to play as you? Uh, I will take the role myself. <laughs> <laughs> I studied theater, so I hope to not give so, such a big headache to the produ- to the directors, and uh, and I can play myself, kind beautiful. of like a Rambo. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Yes. Well, you are you're a man with many skills and uh, talents, and uh, we'll, we'll dive into your your theater life in a, in a moment, actually. Um, but for for those who aren't aware of your amazing uh, journey where would you say your expertise lies well i think it I, I don't know it lies on my life experience because i've been kind of uh living so deeply and everything i do i do it with uh with uh, such a um, intensity and and i prepare myself so i think uh i don't know what you know i mean the, that word expertise is a little bit, you know, tricky, you know, because it compared to what is the problem. Um, but I just, um, I just have a lot of experience doing one single thing, which is uh, painting. <laughs> and, uh, and even within painting, I've been painting very focused, uh, you know, to, I, I've been focusing on what I love, which is portraiture and, and, you know, high standards of expression with the simple tools, archaic tools that have been used for, for centuries. So, so that's what I'm bringing to the table, I guess. Oh, Matt, you're definitely one of the most uh, jaw-dropping painters that I've uh, personally ever met. And uh, I mean, to, to, to contextualize that, as you said, just going back to expertise being a bit tricky because for someone like yourself who's been uh, in the creative uh, artistic expression in, in all forms for so many um for so many years, your whole life, right? Um, it's it's kind of uh, hard to bottle down into an execution um, because I mean, you you can draw too, you can teach as well, you can, as you said, you you've done acting and theatre too. So, um, how did this all begin for you? Can you tell us a, a little about your childhood and how did you grow up? Well, I grew up in Cuba, and that was a very different environment. Um, now, looking back at it from from my environment here in in the states, and I think I have to thank my parents um, a lot for my beginning, for a strong beginning, because they they gave me, they supported me, and also taught me to to discipline myself and like to to prepare myself for everything I do. Um, I mean, I remember because my mom didn't have a, her career was a stay home mom pretty much. And, and I was very difficult because um, she had two wild kids, me and my sister. <laughs> and my father would be the one going out and and working as a machinist, uh, kind of like, you know, working with uh, machinery and doing like pieces of metal and stuff. And he would bring you know, like some little money in Cuba home. So he will be like the one going out and bringing resources. But in the house, it was my mom mainly teaching us. And I remember even like as a kid, like if I liked a girl in school or something, maybe like by the, the age of 10 or something like that, she would tell me to prepare something special, to do something special for them. Um, uh, I don't know, she would, sit me at, she would sit me and try to make a necklace with me or something. And suddenly I realized that drawing was uh, better and faster uh, to impress the, you know, the girls I liked. So, I mean, little things, or if I had a competition in, in school, they would go and train me, like if it was a dancing contest or something, and my mom would get 
uh, get me to dance and teach me all this stuff. So I think, uh, you know, my beginnings were, were pretty, pretty solid also because my environment was so wild in Cuba. You had to kind of make it happen. So maybe that has to do with my perception on, you know, my attitude to, in life. And were you quite uh, middle class in Cuba? How would you describe your situation or your circumstance? Uh, well, we were really poor. I mean, yeah, in Cuba, right. the time that I lived in Cuba, because I lived there until I was 12 years old, and there was no classes. It's either the government with all the power and then the rest of the population and a doctor makes less money than a taxi driver because a taxi can take maybe a tourist here and there and get a little bit more money. Um, so everybody's kind of poor um, to the, you know, so yeah, that's what communism does. It brings everybody to the lowest common denominator. Um, and so, yeah, we did, I mean, my father built a house by himself and the floor was dirt and we little by little put some tiles around. And so I, I think it was pretty, you know, pretty poor, I would say, compared to even the poor standards in the first world uh, is like luxury compared to, to what I grew up in. But I didn't realize that when I, when I was a kid, you know, I was just provided with everything. So, yeah, so it wasn't that much of a problem for me. But, yeah, but I had to make my own toys and I had to figure things out and fight and do all this stuff and help my mom bringing water from the well because there was no running water or like electricity also sometimes would shut down because the the state, the, I mean, the country had to save um, electricity, maybe just to be able to <laughs> uh, provide the tourists with uh, with electricity in the big hotels in the city. But um, but yeah, no, it was it was kind of fun, actually. Yeah, I could totally uh, see that. It's like uh, some of my families from the Philippines originally and you don't miss what you never had, right? It goes back to the whole measuring comparison to, to what, to what, I mean, you, that's the life that was always lived. Um, so how long were you at Cuba for then before you, you guys I migrated? Was 12. Yeah, I was 12 when we, uh, when, you know, my parents took me to, to Miami. I was 12 years old and in Cuba, my father, I think, uh, he, well, he put me into boxing because he was more out in the real world, um, outside of the protection from my mom. So he would see that I would like to draw and be like safe in the house. And he put me into boxing because he thought it was the best um, skill to have for me to be confident and grow up among like wild kids and stand up for myself. And I think uh, boxing gave me, you know, um, got me to deal with, with fear and confronted and also disciplined. And it also, it also gave me the, the, um, you know, the preparation to, to understand that in life, you have to kind of work hard, prepare just for the possibility of competing. Doesn't even mean that you're going to win, even if you do the hardest work possible, you know? So I learned to over prepare myself all the time. Um, because of that, I think that's what I learned from boxing, and I think art on the side gave me a good balance because it would it would teach me to be by myself and and uh, do things that would add value to others, but later, not in the moment. Um, so yeah, it was a interesting childhood. 
I was uh, so so happy to to read about that actually that that uh, you were passionate about boxing as a child. You competed in kids boxing tournaments at a local district level. At the same time, you started studying art at a young age, and uh, because you were impressed by, I believe, your uncle Raúl Santos Zerpa, who yes, 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 he was uh, he's uh, in the National Museum, and he had exhibitions. So as a kid, yeah, I was impressed by visiting his studio and looking at the mess that he created on the floor. For me, it was so fantastic to just throw paint around because he's uh, an abstract painter. And uh, and then seeing the exhibitions and all that, I, I guess he left a good impression in me. I'm like, wow, this could be a career. That's amazing, you know? <laughs> that's so cool. I, I think that's so important as well. When you're growing up, you need to have the exposure to to different things and whichever one you resonate to naturally or you the ones that you show more interest to um that's as a as, as parents then they might have started to see wow like you, your eyes really light up when you go to your uncle's place or <laughs> you yeah know, or when, when you draw this or that um but the boxing do you still box today as a hobby or, or how does your physical activity feed into your life as a painter Yes, in a way I train, I keep training because I had a good, you know, preparation. So I kind of know routines and I go to a gym that has a couple of fighters there so we can train together. Uh, even though I don't fight anymore, I don't do it like I don't spar or anything. It's just pretty much just physical exercise and uh, and also mix it up with CrossFit a little bit. And I think, well, in life, we have to do take care of a lot of things. It's not only art or not only you know like diet but it's uh, relationships friends uh, you know family uh, health so all this stuff uh, play in harmony in my life as much as I can make it um, harmonious so yeah, yeah I do I do balance out my sitting <laughs> my my lonely moments in the studio uh, against crazy activity yeah that's quite rare you know I mean a lot of painters um i mean any craft you know a lot of people um really really just hone in on that one thing and um you know i who is it um michelangelo he was bloody painting the sistine chapel right when you know lying down for like 17 18 hours straight or something that's crazy and and he would yeah like he would have neck problems and Mate, that's, uh, I mean, how long can you paint for, you reckon, without without cramping up and without sort of needing to get some fresh air? Yeah, well, I mean, my, I, I paint for hours, several. I mean, I paint easily. I could paint 13 hours um, just getting up to eat and, you know, necessary stuff, but I can just focus forever. I love the act of painting so much that I don't, I don't feel the time passing. And, and then uh, my wife lives with me and she helps me out in everything. And especially things that I'm really bad at, uh, she's great at. So we compensate like this and she's the one letting me know, okay, gym time, let's go. <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> so she's the one giving me uh, sane. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's otherwise she'll need to put a drip on you, uh, you know, and uh, pump, yeah. pump, pump, some, pump some fluids in you without moving. Um, so in 95, you migrated with your family to United States where you applied and got accepted into the design and architecture senior high dash as they call it um it's it's known uh, quite well known and it's located in miami florida and it's actually a school right that's ranked 15th best public high school in the u.s when it was in 2009 it's, it's 
16th best in 2012. So it's, it's, it's quite, quite well known. Um, the, the curriculum includes a strong four year foundation in fine arts and design and a whole bunch of other sort of creative expressions. How was your experience at that school and, and how did it impact the course of where you are today when you look back? Well, for me, to get in the school was such a project that I went into it um, appreciating every aspect of it and diving all in and with a responsibility too because I was living in a poor neighborhood far from the design district where the school is located. And before that, I did a couple of years in a middle school and the teacher insisted that I must not go to a regular high school, that I should apply to a design or an artistic um, high school because um, you know she saw my my time my 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 passion with art and so I applied to two schools and finally got accepted into that one. The thing with me was that since I came since they they had an ESOL program just for me and my friend because most kids in the school knew English perfectly fine and I was the one that I could you know I didn't learn it because my neighborhood. Uh, where I lived was basically all immigrants from Cuba. So I didn't learn English as fast as if I would have been in another place. Um, but uh, that that school helped me to integrate too into the culture, into my generation. And, and for me, that school also was like a serious change into art and forget about the possibilities with sports or you know, yeah, basically with sports, because we had like extra time um, in that school to do design classes. And the only thing that I was going to say for me was that it was difficult to adapt to technology. So I, I got into architecture because it was the main, it was the program that had main most um, hands-on type of, of uh, practice rather than industrial design or, you know, animation, stuff like that, that require a lot of computer knowledge. I was really bad with computers, still am. Uh, so, but, but it was quite, you know, it was nice introduction into the arts. And, and so that was high school, wasn't it? So yeah, that was high school. And that prepared me to be able to understand what a portfolio is to, you know, the basic things in art so that I can apply uh, to a good college of art as well, and then be able to study, keep continuing studying art. Yeah, so you would have been, what, maybe 13, 14, or was it more like... 14, yeah, yeah, yeah 14, around there, uh, until I graduated when I was uh, 18. I mean, in the, I'm, I turned in the summer, so I graduated with 17, and then started college uh, 18, so... Amazing. I mean, you would have learned a whole bunch of stuff that people don't even probably learn when, you know, in terms of... Um, art foundation and painting techniques and uh, composition, um, you know, the anatomy and looking at, at uh, pers perspectives. I don't, I don't know. Well, I don't know if the school was so, I think it was mainly like basic stuff. I don't think, I think it gave me a taste for what was coming rather than teaching me how to draw or how to do specific things. It was more like a general thing of waking up at four in the morning because I was living so far that I had to take a bus, then a metro rail, then another bus to get to school. And then I would do that for the, my whole high school year. So it at least it got me into a lot of discipline and commitment and and also the taste for what was coming in the in terms of of the art 
um, world. But um, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't put my skills or my knowledge at you know a specific class or anything in that school. It was more like a, a sidestep, right? And it got you yeah. to 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 uh, at least think about your sort of uh, options. Jeez, um, mm-hmm. four a.m. Yes. Tell me about that, man. Like, what? Did well, you... as a family, we came. Oh, the thing is, like, let me just go back a little bit to put it into context because it might look like a weird sacrifice, but I was doing it so happily because, okay, when I arrived, the biggest moment in my life so far is the moment that the airplane um, started to approach Miami from Cuba because I never been, I never seen an airplane before. I was never in an airport. I, before that and suddenly my parents surprised me with this uh notice that we were going to be leaving forever cuba and i was 12 exciting you know my sister was crying because her boyfriend was there i don't know she was old she's five years older so i guess she left things that she wanted or she had uh, behind but i wasn't i was looking forward and we slept two days at the airport in havana because they were, you know, they didn't have the airplanes and the paperwork and whatever. So it was kind of like a torture before. But the moment we left, and it's so close too that the flight was like 40 minutes. And and I remember looking out the window, uh, approaching Miami, and it was late at night, um, January 4th, 1995. And I was looking down and everything was so dark because it's night. And all the lights of the city, as I saw them, is it. I mean, the only time I saw that was in Cuba when there was no electricity and I would have to go and help my father do something at night. And I would just stare at the starry night like that, like kind of like Vincent van Gogh type of thing. And and I would look up and that kind of gave me a sense of hope and like that dreaminess that you feel by looking at the at the sky. And And when I looked at that, I even played with my dad because I was sitting on his lap. I didn't know that was illegal, but I just moved to, to his lab to look out the window when we were approaching that because we were just amazed. And I told him, look, it's the same thing we saw in Cuba, but up, but now it's below us. So we're going to be landing on the, you know, on the sky. <laughs> it's a weird uh, metaphor, but that's how I felt. So for me, that transition um, gave us so much like hope and meaning that the worst thing that could happen in America was always luxury compared compared to the hell of of the cuban um lifestyle so um so for me that sacrifice of waking up early w- meant that i that was a luxury because i was selected in one of the rare schools you know t- for me to practice something that i love so i didn't feel it um as a as a painful thing at all now that i look back i'm like wow that was like quite a thing to do uh, for for all that, you know, time. But Well, yeah, mate, you've, you've pointed out something really important, actually, because with anything that we need to do, uh, whether it's wake up at four in the morning or to uh, do this enormous task, by by context, it's only it's only difficult or challenging or, or enjoyable based on how we uh, frame that opportunity. Um, you know, I didn't experience that to that degree. My family moved from the Philippines when I was just one years old or less than one. I was a, I was a baby. But the stories I grew up with, with my parents, 
very, very similar to what you described. Like my dad, he, my dad's one of 11 siblings and his father passed away when he was three years old. My dad was only three and he had siblings under him. So he had to almost be a man as a child. Yeah, responsibility. Yeah, waking up at that same time, you know, going to the markets with his mum to get, to get, you know, some, uh, some stock to sell at the corner shop kind of thing, you know, and then make sandwiches or whatever for, for the, for the family and then, and then go to school and then after school do, do all the chores and then, you know, do all the housework and nonstop. So. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you have to be in that situation to be able to see it like that or succeed. I guess that there are, you know, people that are born with, you know, um, some, you know, great positioning and, and they still learn through other means. They still learn how responsibility and, and work ethic and all that um, differently. So it doesn't mean that if you're born with luxury, you're incapable of achieving anything like that. But in my case, that's how it happened. And in your case, you know, it might have influenced you too, um, just because of the perspective and context. Yeah, that's very true. It's very true. I mean, the end of the day these these stories they they do help i think in the in a world where it's so easy to be impatient um, <laughs> you know? yeah. i mean i want it now <laughs> yeah exactly so look while studying um visual arts at the new world school of the arts so from from uh from dash design and architecture senior high you you went to the new world school of arts geez these names are pretty pretty hectic aren't they um (laughs) new world school of arts you studied acting as well from 2000 to 2004 in a theater program at miami dade college and you actually pursued acting professionally and acted in a number of theater productions and TV shows. Um, yes, so I loved it. <laughs> wow, man, that's that's incredible. Were, were you a, an ex, was this an experimental part of your life? Were you searching for more meaning in artistic expression? Like, how how did that all come about? Yeah, well, exactly because the thing is that like, I was feeling a little bit empty uh, in my college because the art that I was learning was not fulfilling my vision that I had. So I got into other things and I learned uh, a couple of instruments and I tried different things. So I, I did um, sign up for after classes uh, to this theater uh, program. And that also gave me, the teacher was so incredible, um, Teresa Maria. Uh, Rojas, she was so deep and she taught with such a passion that it transmitted that. So actually most of the way I handle even my career as a painter, she taught me how to see individuals as interesting characters that have their own stories. And and that taught me to to see the world like that uh, and also apply it to my to my art. And um, what I learned in college, though, in art was that they taught me to see the art world and how it works, the contemporary art world, because I was learning, you know, concepts and theory and a lot of, you know, like kind of the contemporary mindset. Um, it was not intense in terms of application of paint or anything like that. That's why I decided to leave even before graduating 
because um, actually my family said all this sacrifice and you're not gonna and you're gonna drop out. That was a little bit of a shocking experience for my family. But I told them, I said, okay, what is the meaning of a degree? It means that society put you in a place that you that you know that you can get find a job, maybe uh, stay, you know. Um, practicing it and make money from it. So I said, the meaning of it, I can do, I can also recreate it without the physical title because it just, you know, a PhD means that you're going to be specializing in something and I can do that without the degree. <laughs> so, so that's why I decided to drop out because also I saw the opportunity to bring to my environment skills that were lacking in my school and with my contemporary artists, and uh, so I said, I'm gonna. I, not only I love doing this, but I think it will be smart um, in the market to bring such a, such an expression. Even though I was being made, you know, I was people were making fun of me for even thinking that because you know, portraiture. Who cares? You can take a photo, and uh, you know, it has been done. I'm like, blah blah blah, whatever. I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying about the. The, the paper, history tells us even with some of the greats from any field that it was their pursuit, their, their, their self-initiated pursuit is really what got them to, to where they are. Um, you know, we, we don't have to go through a long list, but, you know, from people even like your, your Mark Zuckerbergs to your Bill Gates, they dropped out. You know, and they've created some of the biggest companies in the world from uh, self-taught musicians, you know, to, to artists of all types. Um, and, and I think that's, yeah, I think that's really, really important because at the same time, what's that saying? Um, uh, ta uh, uh, hard work beats talent when talent refuses to work hard. You know, it's, it's, it's similar to, to that concept where at the end of the day, if you're putting in hours in your craft, you're just, you're going to be... Um, you're going to be someone that people are going to see as, uh, as uh, yeah, someone sacrificing. Yeah, yeah, the, the, your life for your, for your, for a vision. No, totally. I yeah, I see it like that too. And I, it doesn't mean that you have to drop out, uh, but it means that the school has no longer purpose. So you move forward. You you know you go to, you keep educating yourself and and looking for other venues and opportunities. The thing that I learned though, and that was really valuable too in my college uh, years was that I learned to accept harsh criticism. And I think as an artist, that was a great um, you know, thing to go through because we would have studio critiques. So you would work and then present your projects and then the classmates would just try to destroy you pretty much, <laughs> especially if they didn't like you also personally, but, um, but also the teachers, you know, so, so you get used to, to listening to people opposing your ideas. So also it developed in me the, the sense that I had to know why I was doing what I was doing and, and have a plan and have a, a vision so that I can defend it, uh, conceptually. And I think that was good because the Academy in Italy, um, I don't know if you want to mention that, but when I went to Italy to study classical techniques at the Angel Academy, that there was none of that. It was mainly the instructor telling you how to fix. Everything was very measured, very technical, and there was not that uh, artistic, you know, conversation. So it was an opposite too that that also ended up to be beneficial. 
Yeah. Okay. So you you did dabble in a bit of acting, and then you were eventually also dissatisfied by this sort of modernist approach of the the new world school of arts and then you so you you dropped out there and as you mentioned just now you traveled to italy uh and you were in search of training in the art of painting and you you you, you're saying you 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 got some bit of kickback and criticism from people uh with that decision especially your family but uh you managed to join the the angel academy of arts is that correct in in florence yes Um, yes yes. and you studied the techniques and, and methods of the Renaissance, 18th century, the French uh, ateliers of the 19th century. What are the conceptual and technical areas that attracted you to those art periods? I mean, because you, you've basically just moved halfway across the world. Yes, and it was my first time moving. I mean, my family was kind of like a little bit like scared and traumatized because we already left Cuba for good and um, and went to... Miami so we were here developing and suddenly I leave to even a further place far away from my family so it was quite a decision to make but it was um it was planned it was uh, we took time to to be able to you know get prepared to for me to do that and uh so but I decided to go there because that was the place to find those skills for me at that time uh it's not like now there there are a lot of uh students graduating from those exotic you know, schools and opening new ateliers. So the whole thing is growing bigger. But at the time, I there was a, just a few. And I thought the best option was to go to the real place, you know, and the birthplace of the Renaissance and, and to live it. And uh, yeah, I decided to go and, and do that. And we learned drawing, painting, and all the systems uh, of developing, you know, a, a painting. So, Wow, man. And you moved there by yourself or and you left your family in Miami? Yes, actually, my family was so good again because they had help from my grandma who escaped in a boat when I was born. So I never met her before coming here. And uh, and she helped my parents buy a house. And by the time they were having, you know, they saw the market going up, they sold the house and moved to the small apartment in a bad neighborhood so that I can get that money and study there. Um, and they trusted me. And we have problems even with family members who were telling them not to do it because I was going to go to Florence and party <laughs> and, and, and waste their money. So, but they knew me and, and they knew my, you know, my level of, uh, of commitment and responsibility. So yeah, I went there made it happen and, and, uh, was able to come back and, you know, get them a better house and, and that happening time. But I'm, I'm so grateful that they allow me the opportunity and they understood my passion was serious, you know? Wow. But you did do some partying though, right? It's Florence. Ah, not so much. <laughs> no? <laughs> not so much. Very now good. Now I go back and party. Now I can go back and eat the gelato that I always saw the tourists eating. Oh, but I would amazing. never go out. I didn't have any money to even go out. Uh, not even once to the movie theaters or restaurants. I would just eat, um, you know, the cheapest thing or cook at home and, uh, and just work, work, work. I actually broke the record in the school of graduating so fast and then uh, broke the eyes of the respect and intimidation of the classical training <laughs> you know is this cuban wild cuban trying to succeed and, and try to make things happen you know i'm not going to be brainwashing to the submissive i'll uh, take your time with this project idea <laughs> that's so cool that's so cool well you're probably even again to to the when, when you limit someone's choice 
for example, uh, you were just saying that you, you know, you just had to keep the food basic. I mean, when you limit someone's choice, so you couldn't go out because you, you know, you, you, you also made a promise to your family, but you also didn't have the means to really, you know, live, uh, a life of, of a tourist life in a way you, you, you came with a purpose to really study art. Um, you would have maybe even slept there at the campus or something, right? Like a lot of students do. Sometimes they, they, they work so hard that they end up sleeping at the, the, the underneath the, the desks at the library. No, that's funny that you said that because I, I, as soon as I got there, I met my now wife, uh, Valentina, and she was Italian. She was from Genova, but she was studying in Florence. And um, I applied to get a job at the school so that I can get the key to, to clean. And they would pay me 25 euros a week to clean before and after classes. Or And what I would do is get the key and go Friday nights into the to school and advance on my projects. And then my wife will be there with me. I mean, my girlfriend at that time. And we would um, take, you know, maybe a couple of beers in there from the market and uh, and just I would paint and she would read some books, our history and tell me stuff. So we keep ourselves entertained as I worked. So, you know, like, it's funny because you mentioned I'm sure you party. Yes, for me, actually, everything was a party because it's like you're saying I had so little that I had to take to, you know, do the most with those few things and learn how to enjoy free things more because I had no option. And I've always been optimistic and positive. So for me, it was no problem. I mean, I'm already in a luxurious place. Uh, you know, I'm traveling across the world to study what I love. I mean, what else can be better than that, you know? Um, so yeah, that helped out, uh, you know, to go there with such a intense focus. Yeah. That uh, sounds like a true love story to me, mate. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's beautiful. Okay, so Renaissance and 18th century and 19th century. I mean, they're they're very specific eras and styles that in portraiture as well. So I mean, there are people who who can only dream to even paint that way. I mean, could you already paint hyper realistic? Which which is oh, your no. your style now? I mean, you, you, I was so bad <laughs> technically. No, no. When I was there, I mean, I was actually in, in. I was doubting that the school could make me paint. Even my family, when I showed them the school work of the other students um, online before going, they said, "Yeah, but look how they paint. You don't paint like that." I'm like, "Oh, but they say they teach you that." <laughs> so, no, I was I wasn't even that good in terms of of uh, realism compared to other people that had like better, more like advanced natural talent. Um, it was mainly, I think it was just understanding and, and trying and trying what got me to, to the point that I am. Um, but yeah. So there's hope, there's hope for us. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, what ha what's happening is that instead of learning how to paint, I just went day by day and enjoyed it. It's, it's weird because now they, for instance, now I get emails often or messages asking me how to mix a flesh color or how to do this. And I think the preparation is what gets you ready. It's the same idea as I said with boxing. Like you prepare yourself just for the opportunity to compete and to box. So if instead of knowing the answer or looking for the answers of things, I think my, my attitude of preparing myself for hopes of one day 
getting ready to paint the flesh is what got me to paint the flesh you know like it's i'm still even preparing like that's how my mind works in that sense i'm still thinking what can i do for this and what's the best way to accommodate this it was not about how it's going to look at the end it's about the process so yeah it's a great way to approach what's to come by by looking at it as a series of experimentations in the event that if you were to 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 help someone with something like you know how do i get that right skin tone of that flesh you know um you, you'd already dabbled in so many different different um ways of getting there um and without knowing it you've already arrived you're already prepared um that's really cool so uh you're known for your syncretism okay and this <laughs> is this is a term that you coined in 2011 to describe paintings where you present two or more art tendencies in aesthetic balance. Can you share to us more about this approach, syncretism? Yes, I found myself um, in the middle of, of two contradicting worlds, you know, because I studied here in New World with a contemporary mindset and then moved there with more of a strict and, and kind of like a clear vision of what painting is and was. Um, or should be, you know, according to them. And and I came back and my time is that mixture, that's weird, that weird mixture of, you know, art and fighting or uh, abstraction and realism and all that. So I found myself echoing the idea of syncretism in religion, which is, uh, you know, the in Cuba, you create a new uh, form of expression in religion by mixing African culture, African religion with the Catholic of Spain, and and you create some new results uh, with tendencies from both sides. And and I said, okay, I'm gonna call my my system that because that's what I'm doing. I'm in the middle of this uh, chaos kind of thing. So I'm trying to put order and have a conversation with this opposing uh, values and and it was, it was one of my series um, that I did as an artist. I always change and look for a series of art to get into so that I can feel, you know, that I have a, uh, you know, a goal or something to look forward to. And so, yeah, I've, I've done many series, but that's the one that I had the most success or I, I it took the longer because I really loved, you know, uh, diving into it. I love the idea that emerged from uh, appropriation, right? When you take something old and make it new, um, and in it in its own respectful way, it is uh, it becomes its original form. Um, in a way, we we are influenced in in other different different things that things might be appropriated without us even knowing that they're appropriated. You know, subconsciously, we can get influenced by things. Um, and it's not it's not so blatantly obvious that oh that's an appropriated work by such and such. I mean, how how do ideas come to you to 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 bring these two worlds together? Well, it's been an evolving process. You know, I I don't have a set of of standards that I follow. Like for me, the idea was okay. I love I love painting and I love different styles and I love researching. So. As I was learning, I was creating paintings that had these mixtures of different artists, just because I liked copying and also creating my own stories with them 
And um, so that's how it was. And I think that evolved into, into the main concept that I'm working at the moment, which is I'm, I'm just transferred from, I just transferred those ideas into my own, I, my own way of expression, which is looking at my life and saying, okay, I've always had an, a sketchbook with me to explore and think about these things. So now let me just go and paint in my sketchbooks and have things that come to me quickly and I feel attracted to them. I'm just going to paint them because I have so many paintings to do that if I started painting in big formats or in the traditional way to present them, I don't have time to paint all the stuff I want to. But in the sketchbook, I feel that I can be faster with expression. So now I'm creating a series that is based on the idea of um, of, of the prelude in terms of classical uh, music when it's like a short um, piece that has elements of a finished piece, but also has the potential to become something bigger. So then I, I, so that's what I'm working on right now. So I transfer from that idea of the syncretism as a literal way to more of a personal journey um, of going into my sketchbooks and developing and just painting what I love and not be concerned with what one should be doing as a painter, which is like a format of the canvas and the things. Um, so I see what this takes me. I think uh, I'll be probably taking all the pages out and um, individually frame them to show them at a show or something so people can understand my world from from their point, you know, from the outside. Oh, man, that, that, I'd love to see that. That's uh, that, that, that'd be incredible. I mean, it's it's like um, it's it almost reminds me of the most. When, when people have a thought that, that you, you said something in there, uh, it comes to you immediately and it's, and you can, you can just paint quickly. There's something really precious and special about having a notepad or a little sketchbook or something. And, and it's just your most raw seed of an idea or, uh, or, or, or attempt of, of what's just arrived. Um, and so if you're doing that and you're painting quicker in these smaller formats in a, in a sketchbook of all things, I mean, that's going to be, that's going to be amazing. Um, yeah. And the painting and, quicker, I'm not doing it to paint quicker, uh, but the, the beginning, like the, the spark becomes a reality quicker. Then I develop it. And sometimes I spend a few days uh, working in it. So it doesn't mean that I'm just rushing things because that's what, most sketchbooks are for in terms of how artists use them is for what you just said, you know, like grasp moments and write ideas and, and have, you know, sketches. But I decided to take it to, to a more like a, to a further development. And I said, what if I make my, my work of art in the sketchbook? Um, so yeah, that's what I'm thriving for. And are they, then they're, they're not just portraits anymore, are they? Uh, they could be, they could be portraits, but they also could be landscapes or things uh, that I see. Um, yeah, yeah, it could be a variety of things. What they have in common is that is something that caught my attention in a in a real way, and I'm trying to develop it and present it with my tools. But uh, but yeah, that's very cool. Well, I love what you said. Uh, I stumbled across this online where you've said that. The ultimate goal of syncretic work is to establish a new painterly realm 
with its own defined characteristics. Like any other legitimate process of evolution, it gains a foothold in the preceding stages until the assimilation of the opposing trends is expressed as a newly born and unified entity. That's, that's powerful stuff. All right, so I wanted to swing the needle to the business side of being a painter. Are you are you making a living now? Would you say you're 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 making a living as a painter full time? I was lucky. I can say that I've been making a good living from painting since I graduated. It wow. just took me after the academy in Italy. I came back and I got myself like I said before. Always like preparation and and diving into the process and not so much about expecting. Um, things so I got so I prepared myself for like a, a couple of months I asked my parents in that small apartment that they sacrificed uh, I said can I get a corner and I develop a series just give me you know two or three months max um, so that I can start making money with this and they said okay but you're already taking so much so I want to make sure that you, you are clear with this and you have a deadline with this so so I told them on my own deadline and they agreed and and what I thought was I want to start my career in a good, with a good, you know, um, with a good note type of thing. So I, I understood that I had to develop something personal that had meaning so that I can present it to a gallery as a series of works. And that comes from that idea of do a series to present it to a gallery, but not just so superficial series that have things in common aesthetically or whatever, or by theme but also really that you get engaged with it. So that's what I did. And the easiest thing that came to me was still lives at that time, because that's what I studied uh, the most at the Angel Academy. And, in me, and that, so what I did was, okay, so now how do I present it to the world? So as I was painting, I went out and looked at exhibitions in my area and, and talked to a few people, show my work. And most people were telling me to not go to the one of the best galleries to start, you know, doing small things here and there. And I didn't like that idea. I said, no, what if I go to a, the best gallery I can think of? So I saw this gallery um, in, you know, in Cor Gables, a wealthy neighborhood. And that gallery has been established for a while. And they were very intimidating too, because I remember my mom taking my uncle's portfolio once with me before even me studying art, and uh, and he rejected it. He rejected my uncle's work. So I re I had that in my mind. So in a way, it was a challenge for me to go there and be represented by them. Maybe I guess. Um, but he represented only Cuban artists, so I had that to my advantage. And uh, and I thought about how to approach them because the problem is the first impression matters so much and and if you if you kill that connection at first it's hard to cross that barrier and uh, and galleries do that on purpose because they want to be strong so so the weak cannot go in, into it uh, so they can filter out noise and and I, so I prepare myself and I said okay I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna I'm gonna drive by there and go to their exhibitions and kind of see and look and wait so I did that for three months while I was painting and one day a, a hurricane was approaching Miami and I was moving stuff and I had some works in my car that I was moving to a safer place and I passed by the gallery and they were moving stuff too so I said let me get it up down let me help them so I got out and I started kind of like helping them and moving stuff and they they rem remember me from another time that I visited so they're like oh yeah we can put this blah, blah, blah. so we started kind of talking like that 
And then um, he said, come back another time so we can talk more with more time. Uh, so I did that. I came back and I told him I, you know, studied in Italy and uh, that I was into this project. I didn't say anything if I was represented or not. I just told them that and, uh, and I had a painting ready. So uh, I showed him, by the way, this is what I had. And then he said, oh my God, bring more stuff. So I, I showed more stuff and he said, yeah, let's uh, work together. And, all, and also to even overkill <laughs> the preparation and the relationship, I, when we were signing the contract and getting, you know, kind of like de the details of the, of the partnership, I, I told him that I'm willing to give him uh, more than the average galleries will take and just for him to be more excited about me. And, uh, and he looked at me like so weird, <laughs> but, uh, but I was willing to do that because I was so ready to have an experience of the artist of being in a gallery uh, as soon as leaving, you know, the school. And that set me up for a great career that I'm having right at the beginning, because because I did that, I, I went there and, you know, I kind of prepared myself to be able to be in that place. And he took me to art fairs and, you know, for three years, he was just representing me next to like great Cuban artists. And, uh, and after that, then I guess I just kept working hard and doing the best thing I could and offering values to, to the people I work with so they can, so they're happy to work with me and, and yeah, we made it happen. That's very cool. And you, uh, you, you spoke and built this relationship with this, with this guy. He was the gallery owner. Yes. And so he, um, he was kind of your first representation, uh, right? And he, um, yeah, he was my mentor in many ways because yeah, exactly. Like my first <laughs> encounter with the art world was with a professional successful gallerist. Uh, that I would see him talk to other artists. I would see how other artists acted and the reaction and the results of their actions. So I was looking, you know, and uh, even my first painting that they, he sold that same, the, like the first Friday that he showed my work, he sold the piece. And, um, and I met the collector and I asked him, um, you know, because the thing is like, okay, so I got the, <laughs> this is funny because I got a payment and I didn't know what to do with the check. It was such a good amount of money. And my family was like, oh, see, my father wanted to learn how to paint. <laughs> that, was one of, that was one of the jokes in the family. Like, damn, I'm going to learn how to paint too. <laughs> um, so, so I went to the guy that paid for the painting and I asked for advice because I had no idea what to do with the money. I mean, I had needs. Um, I was already with my wife in Miami struggling, living in, with my parents. And uh, so he, he gave me a few advices, like, um, like saving, like not getting to debt, saving money, buying things that keep their value. And also to, to enjoy things without spending money, like to learn how to enjoy things for free. And I'm like, Oh, I've been doing that one <laughs> at least <laughs> because you know, uh, yeah, everybody was trying to tell me, give me advice on what should I do with that money? So I learned early on to the importance of having money because that will give me power to, to be free and to do more of what I like to do. And in consequence, get more money, you know? So it's a cycle like that. So, but yeah, that guy was such a teaching experience for me. You, um, basically handed over some some pieces of art he presented it in his gallery uh and then and then 
art buyers would would just um, select from his new um, his new pieces that he would he would get. So, wow. Okay, so that's that's really important, um, isn't it? When you are utilizing his network in a way. Um, yeah, people yeah. were complaining. Oh my God, my galleries take 50%. I'm like, if they knew that I was giving way more than 50%, a lot more. I was pretty much accepting the minimum amount that I would accept for each painting that I would do so that I can live with the standards that I needed to just live and, and paint. I didn't want any extra things. So I said, if I can give him everything else extra and he works for me and finds me shows and do stuff with me uh that's the best setup for a career so that was my thinking so in in private uh because i had also a confidential you know like we couldn't talk about my deal with him uh, in public and especially you know details so i would hear all the artists complain about stuff that i'm like man if they knew <laughs> that i'm even worse and i'm like happier <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing as well, which is, um, again, going back to how you grew up and everything was the perspective that, well, hold on, I'm getting my foot in the door here and there's the price tag of the painting, but then there's also the brand equity that you're building a name that you're still, um, you're still trying to get exposure for your, uh, for your, your, your painting, um, style and your credibility and all of that stuff. Um, and, and I think, um, some people don't see that they, they want the immediate, uh, gratification just because perhaps, you know, they've studied at a, at a very top design school or, or art school or whatever, uh, creative school. And I, I see that a lot, to be honest, where they're not, where they're not willing to take a, a pay cut, you know, in a way, um, because they, they fail to realize that the, this is a long-term play. I mean, for you to be doing that is important, I think, for a lot of the listeners um, and a good reminder for me as well, you know, like to, you've got to also look at the value, not in monetary terms, but look at the longer. Yeah, experience and long yeah, term. Yeah. The equity, the equity behind that can come in different forms. I mean, it's like this. It's like you worked with this guy and then what happened? Did, did a bigger, a bigger opportunity come about, Caesar? Did, did you, did you, were you like, oh my, God, oh my yes. gosh, like this cool. check is like four times the one that I got with my first one? Yeah. Well, in terms of money, I, since I had a contract, I couldn't gain more uh, in terms of per painting type of deal because I agree with it and I stuck with it. it. The contract was four years. I couldn't put up with it longer than three. So after three years, we had to break the contract and I paid the consequences uh, gladly just for my freedom. But it did prepare me those three years. And yes, I got to do a presidential portrait for the for one of the for the president of uh, the Florida International University. I did several projects and shows. Um, I got to do uh, fest, um, posters for valet festivals and film festivals through him. So of course he was worth it, all that money and more. For me, I was winning. You know, I didn't think of the greediness of the of the amount per check. I was experience. For me, it was more the experience and living the the artist um, that I wanted to be. You know, like I I wasn't focused on those small details. For me, if I was painting and I was um, 
growing and learning who cares about the money you know yeah so you were locked in hey you're you're locked in in this contract you mentioned so then you're locked in and you can you can only paint and show work in his gallery yes 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 which for me was perfect you know it's like safety in a way it feels like a bad thing but it was a great thing (laughs) you know some people don't know what to do with their freedom you know Uh, that's the problem (laughs) yeah that's very true okay so where did the where where is the bulk of your earning when it comes to being an artist? So for those that are out there listening, wanting to to follow in the footsteps of, of other artists these days, um, you know, and I really hate the saying, you know, uh, starve like an artist. Like I don't, I don't think I think I think artists have a, have more literacy that the world needs than a lot of these other things that they're going to be they're going to be overrun by ai and robots and and programming the the thing that and and and, um what's his name uh the founder of uh uh oh i can't believe it escapes me anyway he was saying that that what he recommends that the world needs to focus on in terms of education is the creative the the um the soft skills of um your character building of leadership um of of drawing and painting he even said um these are the things that will get lost if we if we don't nurture them well now the main companies now are in in a way artistic you know and that's what they offering to the table because that's what people love and that's why you have computers and then you have apple you know like you have this you have things and you have specific things that are made with that soul of the artist so i think that's what maybe he meant um jack ma jack ma that's his name yeah alibaba so so what what's your advice for people that want to um take it seriously and make a living is it is it from selling paintings is it commission work is it te- I, teaching I on the side or for me my income comes from many ways that I express my my artistic desires. Like if I want to, I was presented with the opportunity to teach and do a video, instructional video. So that for me was, it took me time to understand that that could be of value because at first I didn't want to, I didn't want to have the the title of a teacher or instructor. You know, I wanted to be the artist and that's what I've been developing as. And that's what I studied for, you know, and, and so I was keeping myself away. Plus also like painting took my time. So I was, I didn't have time to teach as much and still don't, but I, I convinced myself to put my ego aside and think logically and say, okay, what is the best way that I can talk to other artists and kind of share with them what I know instead of being regular at teaching, I said, I'm going to do a video. I started with one. Now I have three, but. I started with one video that I put months to prepare for it. And I, and I, the moment I went to their studio to film it, I was so prepared. They said, no artist has ever come here like this. And I said, well, tell me about it because I've been looking at so many DVDs from other artists and I cannot believe uh, that, you know, they don't, they do what they do like that. It was very casual. They paint, they talk. It was not like a real teaching experience uh, from from what I uh, perceived. So I said, I'm not going to do that. If I'm going to put something out there, I'm going to create value and I'm going to make people 
um, appreciate my efforts and my sacrifice. So I did that and it has been the best seller of the company. And the funny part is that also, again, a lot of people recommended me to do it by myself and to not accept you know, a deal with the guy because he's an entrepreneur and he's uh, all for money and he's going to give me a little bit. And I'm like, you know what? I did my math again and I said, okay, if this works as I'm thinking, I'm going to make enough money um, to be, to not think about what he's making, <laughs> you know? And, and so I, I did that and it has been a great success. So I'm, I'm getting income from that too. And I also wanted to share now that after preparing myself and working, I decided to open this YouTube channel where I can share ideas and, and, and pretty much have evidence of my artistic life, of what I think about art, of, of technical stuff, not too deep into like, details of, of technique because that's why my instructional videos are for, but mainly to, mainly to show my vision as an artist and to share it and to inspire others and for others to see how I do it and, you know, uh, if I can be of help. So I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm doing that for free. It's on YouTube and I'm not asking for, you know, any money from that, but I get a little bit of income from, you know, the, the publicity in it and also from like, uh, companies that, that produce the tools that I use. They send me the tools and paints and brushes and sketchbooks and stuff. So I, I make from that too. And also that in turn promotes the instructional video. So more people want to learn. So if you just do things out of enjoyment and, uh, and with the meaning, then money comes. I don't, you know, I don't believe you have to think of the money on how to sell. I think you have to develop yourself as an artist and take the time to prepare yourself for the money. Uh, because remember, money is no more than an endorsement of what you're doing from other people. So the money is like, here, keep doing what you're doing. Give me that, you know, pretty much. So if you do things that are of value to you and, and, you, and you see it and look at your surroundings and offer things that are missing, well, people are going to pay you for it. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Are you getting people also wanting commission uh, offering commission work to you and, and wanting sort of like, I want this and, and you're now sort of picking and choosing which, which you'd like to commit to. And I mean, yes, well, I always like the idea. I mean, the masters that I admire the most in history worked only on commission work, you know, like Michelangelo and, and Velasquez and, you know, even hundreds of years dividing them and they still kind of work with the same principle. There were artists that offered value to people that wanted to have part of their skills and you know vision and in turn they got paid for that so i see commission work as a very interesting and positive thing to do and i never also you know i heard a lot of artists uh, no i'm not going to do that for nobody i have my own vision and i'm like what better thing than to help someone if they're willing to pay you for something that you know how to do. <laughs> so I love welcoming commission work. And sometimes if it's too tricky, I talk to the, you know, if they're too stubborn on what they want and they might need another artist. So I would never do something that in principle I don't agree with or I don't see it. But um, if they come to me, most likely they're going to be willing to accept my input. Awesome. All right, a few more questions for you, Caesar. A question I ask all my guests. If you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and speak to Junior Caesar, the young guy finishing high school, what would you tell him? Wow, that's cool. Um, that's a mental game. Okay, going back <laughs> to my high school. 
I would tell myself, keep doing what you're doing. And then the rest of the 30 seconds will be just, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Here's how cool you're going to become. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm like, keep doing what you're doing because, because that's what it is. Like for me now, I feel the same as that guy back in high school. That's the funny part that people say, oh my God, you became this and you have become, you're becoming that. I'm like, I don't see it like that at all. I see myself as this, you know, curious person that looks at the environment and tries to, you know, to do the best thing possible for myself and for my surroundings. So it's the same shit. That's why I'm saying like, keep doing what you're doing because that's like the goal of life to not have bad days or good days to have every day is a, is an amazing day. And if something doesn't go your way, change your way and it will go, you know, because things, sometimes we are wrong about expecting things that, you know, like, like, let's say like a kid, right? A kid goes to school and sometimes he don't want to, he doesn't want to go to school, but school is better for him than going to play around or chuck cheese all day. You know, like you cannot, you have to do stuff that you don't like for your own benefit. And, and let's say if I have something in my day, even now that doesn't go my way, I try to see if I had, if I had the premise of what my day should have been wrong so that I had I'm like, what if this flat tire right now that is getting me uh, late to this place is good for me? Because, you know, like who knows what is good and bad for who? Because even a disadvantage of not having money, let's say, and going to Italy ended up being an advantage because I worked harder than everybody else and I was more serious. So life is so organic and, and we are the ones that are limiting ourselves by being stubborn and thinking that we know what we want. I'm like, I don't even know what I want. Like, I kind of have an idea <laughs> of what I like, but um, but if something doesn't go my way, I quickly change my way to feel better. Yeah. Well, it seems like you you've you've kept that childlike spirit and curiosity and and open mindedness, uh, positivity, optimism. Man, that's 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 good stuff. Um, so, who has been an impactful giant thinker in your life? That person who has inspired you to think bigger and dig deeper in helping you reach your full potential? Well, my first book that I read completely because I'm a little, well, I'm pretty dyslexic. So I'm, I'm, I have to read stuff over and over. So I read the law of success by Napoleon Hill and he got me into understanding the American idea, the idea of like entrepreneurship and, and, um, you know, and marketing and all like the whole idea of constructing a business comes from a little bit like oh, from a spiritual place instead of the money-making machine. I understood that. And I think a lot of people don't understand that, but, um, instead of like a giant idea is the whole idea of America for me, because I contrasted to Cuba where you are just a, a number in society that has to do certain things that they force you to do and behave like that. So I, oh, I loved the idea that you can become, that you can kind of carry your own cross type of thing. That's for me what, what freedom is. And it's for you to be responsible and manage your life accordingly. So I think that's, that's the best idea I've seen because I lived in Italy, I lived in Sweden and, uh, and I lived in Cuba. And living in, in the U.S. showed me to be responsible for myself. 
uh, and show me not to and show me to not complain for things that are less luxurious than you know like the idea of having all these artists or multimillionaires around uh, it's so amazing for me you know it's like this is incredible that you can create your own empire as an individual I think that's a big idea. Like, I mean, it's not one idea. Yes, I don't know if I'm answering this correctly, but uh, I don't have like, well, Napoleon Hill with the law of success gave me that perspective. It taught me to do things with meaning pretty much. Yeah, hugely popular uh, American author, right? Um, the law of success is is uh, one of his many famous books as well as Think and Grow Rich. Oh man, he's... Um, yeah, he's got some some gems in there, and I mean, these books were written. I've just looked it up. The Law of Success, nineteen twenty-five. Yeah, nineteen twenty-five. Goodness me. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, he's definitely a giant thinker, um, and and uh, I, I can totally resonate with that. Um, and what what's next for you, Caesar, with everything you're involved in for the rest of the year and beyond? Well, now I'm preparing for a show, but I had another idea for the show, so now I'm changing it to the sketchbook idea and. And now I have to kind of show the gallery my vision because I believe in the way I market myself is um, is that I promote my art to my dealers as well as I present it to my viewers on social media because social media, in fact, uh, became the way to connect. I mean, I mean, I cannot believe so many artists that don't want to be on social media. It's like not wanting to go to the bar where the impression is used to meet up to talk about art, you know, that's where things are going on. Things are going on online now. So I show my passion and I want to show that also to the people that sell my work because I don't love selling personally, but I love uh, guiding my narrative uh, because I'm, you know, I know kind of what I like. So for me, convincing my gallerist of what I'm doing is important so that they can see so I can help them out, you know, understanding what I do so they can sell it better. And uh, so my next goal is to present my show with enough, uh, you know, meaning that other people that will sell it understand what I'm coming from and, and present it with that value. Um, but nothing else. I mean, other than that, it's just developing my, my art painting, you know enjoy life i don't know i don't have big i don't have big projects like that it's like things come and then i treat them as they come yeah um, for sure when is the uh your next show it should be this spring in paris but i'm thinking about it because paris is going through you know a little bit of a crisis and and i don't know if that's the ultimate thing to do now i don't know i'm just thinking about it um that's for me always been a dream, you know, to show to have a show in Paris and never had it. Oh right, okay, yeah, because you've been you've been in the Museum of Contemporary Art in Sicily. You've been uh, in uh, countries in Florence. all Florence, yeah. You've um, you've been shown all over the world, uh, well, in a fair few places. But um, what's the ultimate goal there? Are you you wanting to to kind of be recognized uh, in a particular way? Um, no, I just like to enjoy the whole experience of being an artist. I mean, if I can, when I took a painting with a group of American realists to Beijing to show, that for me was like a really nice experience. It just feels good or like the, you know, uh, 
the National Gallery in Costa Rica. You know, it's, I think as an artist, you want to experience the complete package, you know, of being so intimate in the studio and then also being able to travel and, and bring it to the people so that people from different cultures see your your process and see your art. And I think that's part of it. Um, Very cool. Um, you mentioned social media. How can listeners get in touch with you online? Well, Cesar Santos is my name on uh, on my Instagram and also on YouTube. Cesar Santos is my channel. Santos Cesar is uh, that com is my website, but I'm not so active in my website. I I realized that the personal website became social media in a way, um, which is bad because sometimes you know, like Facebook blocked an account that I had with over thirty thousand. Uh, followers and and I had to start from scratch my Facebook thing now it's good it's like around 10,000 but but uh, at that time it was a big loss because I lost so many contacts even with collectors that I had through messenger so depending on social media platforms it's a little tricky but at the same time at the same time that's what we have to play with Um, but yeah they can definitely find me with you know uh, in Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, <laughs> and all these visual platforms. What, uh, for those that are, are unaware of your work and, and who are just encountering you right now for the first time, what's, a, what's your favorite piece of artwork or, or an artwork that you would really love for them to, to see? Of mine? Yeah. Oh, man, my, my next one. <laughs> yeah, none of what you've done. <laughs> yeah, just... Uh, just look at the new one. That's funny. <laughs> I I just fall in love with the new process, and I think and all my previous. That's probably how. That's probably what helps me also detach from my art and make uh, make uh, a successful career is because I enjoy so deeply what I'm doing while I'm doing it. But after I'm done, I'm like I'm you know next one. <laughs> totally. Well, I mean, if if people were to Google your name. And they hit images. There's, there's a whole ton of beautiful portraits that they can see. Um, I love portraiture. Yeah, that's my passion. Which is, which is cool. Um, Caesar, thank you so much, mate, for your time. Uh, sorry, we've gone a bit overboard, but uh, that I just got lost in your in your story, and uh, hopefully the listeners did too. So uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ram. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in, Giants. I hope Caesar has given you more insight and clarity on what it takes to live a life as a painter. Feel free to get in touch with him on social media. I'm sure he'd absolutely love to hear from you. As you heard, just a super genuine and lovely bloke to chat with. Please share this episode with a friend or a loved one if you really think it'd benefit them. You can forward giantthinkers.com to anyone and it'll take them right to it. Also, the Giant Thinkers podcast is available on Spotify. So if that's more convenient for you to listen to, every single episode is available on Spotify too. Now, a quick teaser for our next guest. He is a Canadian businessman, author, and television personality. He's also an American Shark Tank investor, most likely giving it away here, but his nickname is Mr. Wonderful. And one of his business philosophies is that in order to create wealth, one needs to pair up with people whose strengths compensate for one's weaknesses. His net worth is over 400 million US dollars and his advice is simply brilliant. 
For any questions regarding this podcast or anything at all, the best way to reach me is on Instagram. Send me a DM via my handle, The Giant Thinker. Lastly, I'll leave you with a quote that I loved from Caesar who said, it's not about how it's going to look in the end. It's about the process. 